Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Um, my sobriety date is February 2nd, 2010. I have a sponsor, and I have the privilege and honor of sponsoring others. Um, I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous today, um, which was not my first impression. I was not impressed when I first got here, but um, I've had an experience that's second to none, and I absolutely love my life today, and I absolutely love what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. <clears throat> my uh, home group is Saturday Night Solution on the Shore. We're a one-hour speaker meeting, and I absolutely love my home group. It's my favorite meeting of the week. I look forward to it all week. Um, And after it's over, I'm like, I can't wait for next week. Um, I'm really active in my home group. We book a lot of uh, institutions and rehabs and detoxes and other meetings in the area. Um, And I'm very active, and I keep very busy in my home group, and that's done a lot for me. it's really important. Consistency is a really powerful principle that I've learned. Um, and it's definitely got me to where I am today. I uh, was born in a small town to a very normal family. I couldn't believe how normal it was from the outside because I felt so disconnected and so, like, something's not right here. Uh, my father is an alcoholic and he's re- recovered, like, 25 years. He hasn't picked up a drink. Um, and I'm only 20 years old, so I've never seen him pick up a drink. And I have a mom and a brother, and we had a house and went to school and all those great things. Um, but I just felt so weird my whole life. Um, I really don't remember much about my childhood. I just remember, like, me and my dad, like, getting along really well. I loved my dad so much. Like, we could sit there for hours and just joke around and have, like, these nonsense conversations. And my mom and my brother are like, what's going on? Like... I don't get the point, um, but me and my dad got it, and I loved him so much, and when I was about seven years old, um, my dad's like, you can never successfully pick up a drink, um, you're definitely an alcoholic, <laughs> and there was never alcohol in my house, I never saw my parents drinking, like, maybe my mom at family functions and stuff, um, but it was never in my house, and I never really knew much about it, so when my dad said that, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, um, when I was about 12 years old, I started, this is when I started remembering stuff that was going on. Uh, we moved from one town to the next. They were like literally next to each other. It was probably, like, the houses were about a mile away from each other. Um, but I absolutely thought that my life was over. And my parents were doing it to ruin my life because they wanted to see me suffer. They wanted to see me have no friends. And uh, they were just trying to ruin my life. And really what was really going on was uh, it was a better school system. It was a more affordable house, and they were just planning for my future. And I was crippled with fear walking in that school because I knew it was a little bit more affluent town, and I didn't know anybody, and I knew the girls were all going to be clicky because it's middle school, and I was so afraid. And for about a year, I walked around that school like a ghost, like Oh, I don't, I didn't talk to anyone. I had no friends. And, um, I really blamed it on my parents because I knew that was their intention the whole entire time. But it wasn't. <laughs> um, 
the next year I somehow tricked the really popular girls into being my friend. And, uh, you know, and how I did that was I, I just, I told them anything I thought they wanted to hear. I, uh, whatever bands they listened to, I've seen them twice in concert with my older brother. Uh, whatever clothes they wore, like I go shopping there, my closet at home is full of those clothes. Just anything, anything I could say to make you like me, because I have no idea who I am, and all I want is you to like me, because if you like me, then I can like myself. And um, I managed to do that for a little while, and uh, for whatever reason, I guess we had a family party or a gathering of some sort. There was a big bottle of vodka in our garage, and those popular girls started talking about drinking and hanging out with boys and all that stuff. I had never done any of that, but I told them that I drink with my cousins at weddings and stuff, and, you know, I do Jaeger bombs, all, all those kind of things. I had no idea what I was even saying. Um, but, I, but I found this bottle of vodka, and I really wanted to impress these girls. I really, really wanted them to like me. So I poured a big glass of Kettle One Vodka, took it into my room, grabbed the orange juice, invited these girls over, and... Um, I told them we're going to drink tonight, and it's going to be awesome. And I close the door, and I take that first sip of vodka, and that warm feeling just came over me, and I just felt okay for the first time. All that fear that had built up for 14 years, 13 years, just finally went away. And I absolutely fell in love with alcohol that night, the first thing ever that I fell in love with. Like, I did sports, and I did all these things, but... They were never enough, you know. I would do something or get somewhere, get a good grade, all those things, and I was like, that's it, you know. But when I when I discovered alcohol, I knew, like, this is definitely it, you know. This, this is what's going on. And um, that allergy kicked in, and the glass went around, and I took a bigger sip. And the next time it went around, I took an even bigger sip. And when I started to drink, I couldn't stop. And the next morning when I woke up, I was a little bit sick. Um, all I could think about is how am I going to get my hands on alcohol again? I cannot wait. And it's absolutely what I set out to do for the rest of my life. And um, it's not easy for a 14-year-old girl in, like, suburbia to get their hands on alcohol. Um, so I went to great lengths to do so. I'd uh, go into – I would just do – I would just do anything I could to get my hands on alcohol. And when I start drinking, I cannot stop. So I go into a blackout. I lose some clothes, and I run around the neighborhood. And the police in that town really didn't like that. Um, <laughs> they were not impressed. So I started getting picked up by the police and dropped off at home. And I was absolutely ruining my parents. They were absolutely distraught. They, they didn't know how I got there, you know. They didn't understand, like, how do you go from one extreme to the other in a matter of a month, you know. And I'm getting in trouble left and right, and my parents are grounding me. And I'm, you know, I get a good report card. I put it on the fridge. I clean the house just to get them off my back. And I just do the same thing all over again. I get brought home by the police again. And just absolutely terrorized my parents, just absolutely stepped all over them to do what I wanted to do because it's the only thing I knew that worked. And the popular girls weren't too impressed because if I was around, the police were probably going to show up. So I started losing them, and I didn't care, you know. I was like, whatever, I don't need jail. I just need a bottle. Um, And I went from group of friend to group of friend, 
and the same thing would happen. The same exact cycle kept got happening. I would just take whatever I needed from you and step all over you, walk all over you to get what I needed, and then go on to the next. And my parents are sending me to like alcohol counseling and they're sending me to psychiatrists and therapists and they're all like, Well, how do you feel about that? I was like, if I knew how I felt about that, like I wouldn't be here. Like I just want to go so I can drink. Um and nothing ever stuck and nothing ever worked and um, my relationships with my parents were just crumbling before them. I absolutely broke their hearts day in and day out and didn't care at all. And all those things that I used to do just fell to the wayside. You know, I didn't want to do sports anymore. Um, I didn't really want to do school at all. I just wanted to drink. I just wanted to be the party girl, and I thought, like, that was my calling. Um, at the end of my senior year, like, I'm at, or but by the time I get to my senior year, I've been arrested like ten times, and I had all sorts of consequences. They sent me to like the scared straight programs. I had to go to the jail a few times. I had to go to the prison for 24 hours, and the prisoners are like, "What are you here for?" I'm like, "Drinking." I'm like this little 15 year old girl, um, but I, I had a great time there. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> I loved it. And, like, none of those things mattered. It didn't matter getting kicked off the swimming team. It didn't matter that everyone knew that I had to go to prison for 24 hours. Like, none of that was enough to make me even think to stop drinking. Like, drinking was not my problem. Drinking was the answer to all of those other problems I had. Because when I woke up in the morning, I didn't feel okay. But when I got to Friday night and I could drink, you know, and I could manipulate my way into getting some, my hands on some alcohol, Everything else was okay, and I could breathe. I could look at myself in the mirror and feel okay. It didn't matter how bad I embarrassed myself the weekend before. I would be right back to where I was, doing it all over again, and nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered in my life was how am I going to drink. Um, by my senior year, you know, my parents thought maybe if we give her, like, some responsibility, we give her a car, maybe she'll calm down. <laughs> um, poor logic <laughs> um, <laughs> and I live in a beach town and I lifeguard and I'm drinking and driving all over the place and I'm showing up for work on the lifeguard stand coming to um, at like 10 o'clock like how long have I been here like is everything okay and they're like yeah <laughs> I was just an absolute mess and I just put everyone around me in so much pain and didn't care at all. Um, one consequence that absolutely like scared my parents to death. I was um, at my house and I, I had this big handle of vodka, and um, we're drinking, making martinis because I'm like really, really classy drinker. Um, <laughs> and I'm like blacked out before I even get to the house. And there was some argument going on between some people. I'm like. I see, like, flashes, and all I know is I need to get in the way, and I need to punch this dude in the face. And we're at this bonfire, um, and I didn't realize he's across the fire pit. And I go to, like, swing at him, but he's across the fire, and I'm on the other side. And I fall into the fire, and I pass out. I have third-degree burns all up and down my left arm. And nothing, you know, I just got dropped off at the house, stumbled down the staircase, and... um 
went to work the next day. Like, it was no big deal. In, like, 98-degree blazing sun, I'm sitting on the lifeguard stand. I come to, like, I got to get out of here. I don't know what's going on. And my parents were just scared to death. They absolutely thought that sooner or later I'm going to kill myself. Um, so they give me a car. <laughs> I'm drinking and driving, and it's senior year, and I think I'm on top of the world, and I can't be stopped, and everything is just great. And uh, I get arrested for a DUI about a week after my 18th birthday, and I absolutely crushed my parents. You know, they did not know what to do because the state of New Jersey and DUIs are not a good deal. Um, and I don't have any means to pay for it. And it's all on my parents' shoulders, and they just gave up at that point. There's, like, there's nothing we can do for you. You know, you're not going to hear anything anyone has to say to you. I was like, I'll go to an AA meeting. Um, and my dad's like, good luck. And I walk in, and I walk right back out. I see a bunch of old dudes complaining about their problems, drinking coffee, and I'm like, not going to happen. Um, and the very next day, I drink. Because um, it's the only thing I know that works, you know. If I have all this on my mind, if I just take a drink, like, problem goes away. And 70s, and, you know, growing up, my parents were, like, really principled people. Um, they belonged to a church, and I was involved in the church. I was in the youth group, but that slowly, like, slipped away after the years, and we weren't as active. Um, but I had this, like, I had that belief in God, you know, that they talk about in the big book, um, that childlike version of God. I have that in me. And seven days after I was arrested for a DUI, one of my closest friends was killed in a drunk driving car accident. He, uh, we were all at a party, and he just jumped in the car to drive around the block pulled out of the driveway and uh, wrapped the car around a tree. And um, I was so angry at God, you know, because I don't like my life at this point. You know, I'm not too impressed. I'm telling myself that I'm on top of the world, but I'm really not. Um, but Johnny, the, my friend that passed away, he was a good kid. You know, he had a full ride to college. He had a great family. You'd always see his family out together. They got along really well. Johnny had a million friends, biggest smile, ear to ear all the time. And I was so angry at God that he would take someone like Johnny and not someone like me. Someone that doesn't even have a real friend in the world. Someone whose family does not even look at them when they walk in the door. You know, family members just like written me off at this point. And why did God take Johnny and not me? So I stopped drinking for about a month at this point just completely out of fear and remorse. And about a month goes by, and I'm sitting around with some friends. I'm like, you know, I don't think Johnny would want us to sit around and feel sorry for him. I think he'd, like, want us to go out and have a good time. And I did exactly that, and I absolutely lost control. You know, I lost control. <coughs> it's like controlling and enjoying my drinking. I'm drinking around the clock. I'm waking up places that I don't know how I got there. I'm waking up next to people that I don't really know all that well. And um, the only thing I know to do is to keep drinking, you know. If I keep drinking, this problem won't happen anymore. I won't feel this way. And I can barely show up for school. I don't have a friend in the world. When my friends are around, they're like, you really, really have a problem. You need to deal with it. And I'm like, you're an ass. I got to go. Um and it was just, like, really, really lonely, you know. And the only thing I knew that worked anymore was drinking. And my parents were putting me in intensive outpatient programs. Um, 
and they're doing all these things, and I'm just doing as little as possible as I can do just to get by, you know, just to get to the next time I can drink. And I was absolutely okay with that lifestyle. I was absolutely okay with not having any friends. I was absolutely okay with my parents not even wanting a relationship with me as long as I can get to that point that I need to be at. And uh, by the end of my senior year, like I said, I'm drinking around the clock. I can barely get to school without having a drink before or something in my system just to get through the day. And uh, like I said, from the time I was 14 to the time I was 18, I've been arrested like 10 times. So, like, we have this uh, school police officer, and he knows me really well. We're on, like, first-name basis, and, like, I hang out in his office and stuff, and he's, like, stalking me on Facebook, and <laughs> it was great. Um He's like, what are you doing Friday? I was like, not telling you. <laughs> um, it was great, though. But he sees me this one particular morning, and uh, I'm wrecked. And he grabs me by the hand. He's like, actually, I'm not going to watch you kill yourself anymore. I have to put an end to this. And he takes me by the hand, and he brings me in front of the school. And everyone's coming and going at this time. And uh, he handcuffed me right there. And I had all sorts of crazy charges, like public endangerment, um, I, I can't even remember. It was a mess. Um, and everyone in my school is seeing this. All those people that were trying to be my friend, even though they couldn't stand me, are just so embarrassed for me. And I was at a, the lowest low point I've ever been at. It hurt worse than the DUI. It hurt worse than anything else. Um, and he brings me down to the processing center, and all the cops that have arrested me are like, hey, Ashley, how you doing? I'm like, how did I get here again, you know? Because I went a little while without getting in trouble. Um, but there I was again, and uh, I'm in the holding cell. And the school police officer, he's like, I just got in contact with your dad. He'll be here soon. I was like, great. And uh, I can hear my dad's voice. My dad finally gets there, and I can hear his voice, but I can't see him. And the school police officer's like, oh, Mr. Harmer, like, we'll go get Ashley for you. And I hear my dad say, no, I don't want her. You can, you guys can just keep her. I don't want to bring her home. And he left. And I did not know what I was going to do. I had no way out of that. I was so lonely and so broken and just so scared, just so full of fear. And... The school police officer comes over, and he's like, I don't want you either, so I'll give you a ride home. And I was like, great. Um, Can I sit in the front? (laughs) Um, But he didn't let me sit in the front. I sat in the back, and he drove me home. It was only about a couple blocks away. Um, And I walk into my house, and I hear my mother crying, and it's echoing through the house. And my dad is sitting in the living room, and I walk in, and he just looks right through me. He looked at me like a terrorist that just walked into his house. And I, and I had no idea what to say or what to do. And um, he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I guess I'll try AA. He's like, you better figure something out because I can't help you anymore. And um, I had a friend who was coming around for a little while, and uh, we weren't really talking because I was a mess, and she was trying to get herself back together. And I called her up, and I'm like, can you please take me to a meeting? I do not know what else to do. And uh, she's like, yeah, absolutely. And she she rushes over and picks me up. And I'm, like, hysterically crying. I'm throwing up. I don't know what to do. And then I'm laughing. 
I was just a mess. And she brings me into this meeting, um, and it's a celebration meeting. And this little old lady gets behind the podium, and uh, she's celebrating like 150 years. She's so old. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, great. I can't believe this is happening again. And old people complaining about the problems. Wait, she's, she's going to complain up there. But she didn't complain. You know, she talked about how dark and lonely it was when she stopped drinking and how badly she just wanted to die. She just wanted it to be over. And at that moment, that's exactly what I felt. And I got this little glimpse of hope, you know, because obviously she was smiling and she was old, so, like, maybe there's something there for me. And um, I ran around AA for about, for a while with this girl and uh, another girl who came around, and we're going to all sorts of meetings. We're going all over the place. We're not doing those steps or that sponsorship or anything like that, because that's just way over the top. And we're going to, like, these really crazy discussion meetings with all these old guys, and I'm hearing all this crazy stuff, and we're going to NA meetings, and uh, we're getting, like, all dressed up, like, looking for our husbands. Um, <laughs> and, uh... It was just a mess. And stuff on the outside got really good, really quick. You know, my parents are thrilled um, that I'm not drinking and I'm coming home on a nightly basis. My parents are thrilled that I'm going to get through court, you know, and I have some money in my pocket and I can pay for the court expenses because I'm lifeguarding and showing up to work. Um <coughs> And court went really well, you know, all those insane charges they racked up for me all got dropped, and I just got, like, public, like, disturbance charge. All these things are happening. I have, I got my license back, and I'm driving around in this car, and I have money in my pocket, and um, I have, everything feels great, you know, on the outside. And I'm absolutely 100% dying on the inside. It is so hard to wake up and get out of bed and face another day and go to another crappy discussion meeting or hear another crappy speaker, and I just can't handle it anymore. And um, I'm doing all these things that sober women just do not do, and I have no guidance or direction at all, and I didn't know that was what I needed. I didn't know that was the answer. I just... And everyone's telling me, like, if you just stop drinking, you'll be okay. And I'm like, I'm not drinking. I haven't drank in six months, and I'm not okay. What is going on? And they're like, go home and write a gratitude list. I'm like, what is there to be grateful for? I hate myself. Um, and it was just a mess. And the only thing I know to do that makes that go away is to drink. And I call up all those old friends. Uh, some of them wanted to talk to me. Some of them didn't. And I call them up. I'm like, guess what? I was at this AA meeting the other day, and they told me how to drink successfully and how to not get arrested. So, like, let's go. And they're like, that's awesome. I want to go to one of those meetings. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I call them up, and we go out. Um, and we're going all over the place. And they quickly found out that I do not know how to control and enjoy my drinking. Um, and I'm exactly the same person that I always was. Um, I just get drunk a little bit quicker than I used to. Um, and I'm right back to where I was. Waking up in places I don't know how I got there. Surrounded by people that I don't really know all that well. Um, and I'm, and I don't know how it's happening. I was like, how am I here again? You know? 
and everything starts falling apart, you know. My parents can't stand me around anymore. They don't understand why I'm not coming home, where I am, what I'm doing. My money is just flying out of the pocket. Um, and it would only last about four months, and by the end of that four months, you know, I could walk into a room, and I could have as much as I could to drink, and I still feel so lonely and so lost, and I don't know what to do. Um, and I ran into this to some people in those six months um, that I was running around AI who were having a different experience than I was. They were genuinely happy. Um, but they were those people that did the steps and the sponsorship, and I wasn't too impressed with that. Um, but they were, like, really annoying, and they would call me all the time while I was drinking just to see how I was doing, and if I ever wanted to hang out, like, let me know it was available. And I was like, no, thank you. Um and I'm telling them how I'm controlling and enjoying my drinking. And I'm probably not alcoholic. I'm probably one of those just hard drinkers. And um, they bought it, kind of. Um, or I was just manipulative enough to make them believe me. And they would call me, and I get into this relationship, and I think that's the missing piece. Like, if I just have this relationship, then I can drink successfully. Um, but I was wrong. And this one, this one friend I have, um, he knew that I was at school, I'm at community college, and he knew my schedule vaguely, and he's like, there's this meeting on, uh, on campus today, you should come and check it out. And, uh, I was drinking the night before, all hours of the night, and I just felt so lonely, and I'm with a couple of my really close friends, and I just can't even stand to be around them. I can't even stand myself anymore. And I drink into a blackout, and I pass out, and I get this phone call to come to this AA meeting. And for some reason, I went, you know? I don't know why. I don't know what brought me in there. Um, And I walk in, and it's like three dudes drinking coffee, complaining about their problems. And it's an hour-long meeting, and we're sitting in this tiny circle, and it goes around. And uh, by the time it gets to me, there's like 37 minutes left. And I look at the clock, and I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to say? And for some reason, I don't know what it was or why, but I just got honest. The only thing I wasn't honest about is I told them I had, like, five days or so, and I had, like, five hours. Um, But I got honest, and I I started to speak from my heart um, what was really going on, how I felt so lonely, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what the solution was, and I could just feel lost. And um, I ran into this woman, because I'm going to a meeting here or there just to get, like, my parents off my back to make them think that I'm still doing AA, but I'm telling them how AA is just, it's crap, just like everything else. Um, I ran into this woman who was in New Jersey for, like, five minutes. Um, she's moved around a lot, and when she spoke from the podium, she absolutely glowed. And she spoke to my heart, you know, and um, I absolutely felt it. But I was petrified to ask her for help because I, I just didn't think it would work for me. I thought, I thought only some people could get that way, you know, that uh, I wasn't good enough for it. And after that, that new meeting at campus, um, I walked out feeling like a little bit lighter. Um, now that I have some stuff off my back. And I, I start thinking, like, maybe I should just try this, you know? Obviously, drinking's not working anymore. Obviously, I'm not getting the relief that I once did. And um, I was staring at this woman's phone number, 
I would just try to muster up the courage just to call her. Just to, I was like, just call her and say hello. Um, and I just got in. And I'm running around AA, and people are like, who's your sponsor? And I'm like, oh, I'm shopping around. I'm looking for the right match. Um, <laughs> insane. And I'm in this relationship now, and I'm trying to get sober. I'm an absolute mess. I just get to this one point, and I'm sitting by myself, and I'm hysterically crying. And I call this woman, um, and I was like, can you please help me? I do not know what's wrong. And she was in New Jersey for, like, five minutes. She, like, didn't know where she was going to live. She has this, like, crazy job. She's working all these hours. And uh, she said, absolutely. And she put all her plans and all her her things she needed to do and all the things that were going on in her mind, she just put them aside. And she laid her life down for me. Um, and we met. And we took a vigorous course of action. You know, she took me through the steps as they're outlined in the big book. We didn't wait around. We didn't sit and have coffee and talk about our feelings. You know, we got down to, like, the causes and conditions of why I am the way I am, why I cannot successfully pick up a drink. We talked about the doctor's opinion, the physical allergy. I saw myself in a new light, you know. I, I stopped feeling so different, um, and I started seeing hope. I started seeing, like, I didn't, honestly, like, I didn't think it was going to last very long. I was like, I'll try this. Probably not going to work, but what else is going to happen? Um, and I ran around with this woman. She would throw me in her car, and it'd be Wednesday, and she's like, we're going to Delaware. I was like, why are we going to Delaware on Wednesday, you know? And um, I started running into all these people who were having that great experience experience that I didn't really think anyone was having um and I'm running into them left and right and I did a fourth and a fifth step with this woman I walked away from it feeling like part of you know not being too impressed with myself but knowing that someone else in this world felt the way I do sober and uh thinks the same way I do and that guilt shame and remorse slowly flipped away and we didn't pause, you know. I just kept moving, and I jumped into Alcoholics Anonymous with two feet. I um, I got really active in the home group. I started speaking at these little meetings in my area. I started putting my hand out to new new people, and I uh, I ran into this little girl. She's uh, she was 14 years old. She was the cutest thing I've ever saw, and um, just the look in her eyes, I knew exactly how she felt. I knew exactly where she was at, and I put my hand out to her, and I just said, if you ever want to go to a meeting, just call me. Like, I'll gladly pick you up. And uh, the next day she called me. She's like, do you want to go to a meeting? I was like, absolutely. Um, and just hanging out with this girl, this 14-year-old girl, that felt exactly the same way I did. You know, I could talk to her, and I, we just could feel each other, you know. And I, um, she wound up asking me to be her sponsor, and... Uh, I call my I call my sponsor. And I'm like, I have a sponsee. She's like, you need to do some amends. And I was like, oh. Um, but that's how it happens, you know. Once, once some, you know, there's no mistakes in God's world. Like everything is as it should be. And that girl pushed me to keep growing and keep moving forward. And I went and I made those amends to all those friends the past years that I just trampled over, you know. 
just didn't matter what they did or, you know, I just took exactly what I wanted. And I stepped on the toes of others to do what I needed to do. And I got to, I got to make those relationships right. I got to show them how I was wrong and how I'm never, I may not ever have to be that person ever again. And, um, I waited a little while to make the amends with my parents just because, um, I wanted them to see my actions before, uh, my words. And I, at a point, I was ready to make the sit down amends with them. And when I sat down with my father, you know, he's like, Ashley, I never wanted this life for you. I never wanted you to go through the pain that I went through. But I couldn't be any or happier now because I know you're going to be okay. And me and my father have a great relationship today. Um, it's constantly growing. Um, it just keeps getting better. I'm not going backwards with him anymore. Um, and, you know, it felt really good to make all those situations right. And um, I started traveling around up and down the East Coast, running into people, having the same exact experience. And I got to meet a lot of people, and I get to do a lot of awesome things. Go to Vermont, go to all over Pennsylvania, Maryland, <coughs> New York, New York City, just absolutely living a life, you know, absolutely being in the moment and seeing things from a totally different perspective. And um, it was a lot of fun, you know. I started having a lot of fun, really loving my life, and I have these great friends and that relationship wound up working out and um it's summertime and I'm lifeguarding and I'm thinking like you know I think I'd be a lot more effective if I moved out and moved in with this boyfriend um so I did that and uh I'm showing everyone how great I am and I'm sponsoring the world every any new girl that comes in I'm like I'm your sponsor and we're gonna do the steps um, and, uh, you know, I get, I get them in one, th- two, and three, and, uh, I'd show them the fourth step, and then I'd never hear from them again. Um, but I, I think I'm doing great, and I'm doing God's work, and, uh, I'm telling everyone how awesome I am, and what I'm really doing is I'm running on self-sufficiency once again. Um, I get back into school, and I'm still running on self-sufficiency. And I just, what I think is, like, I just need more new girls, you know. I need everyone on the outside to look at Ashley and be like, look how good Ashley's doing. Like, she's so young, and she sponsors so many people, and she's so great. Um, and it, it was good, you know. I learned a lot. I have great experiences. And some, of, not all those girls did one, two, and three and left. You know, some of them stuck around, and I got to see them grow and put their hands out to other people. And uh, I'm just telling myself that everything's great. And problems start cropping up. And I'm like, if I just get more new girls and I stay really active and I run around like a mad person, the problem will go away. Um, I move this girl into my house. Uh, she can't stay sober. And she's not listening to a thing I say. I'm telling her to do this, that, and the other thing. And she's not doing anything. Um, and instead of having, like, a sit-down conversation talking to her from my heart I just yell at her and then walk out the door and uh go find another girl um and uh I'm running around and I'm getting invited to speak different places and 
the boyfriend is still there, and, you know, I, like, not really spending too much time with him. I'm like, oh, I got to go do this, that, and the other thing. And uh, we slowly start drifting apart, and I'm like, well, if I just keep staying active, everything will go away. And um, everything just started to fall apart, surely, slowly but surely. And uh, the boyfriend comes home one night, and he's like, I'm just not happy anymore, and there's nothing there. And I'm so broken. Um, I don't know what to do, and I just can't even get out of bed. And I didn't realize how much dependence I was putting on other people and how my dependence was not on God. And I go back home to my parents and I can't move and I can't eat and I can't sleep and I can't breathe. And uh, the next week, one of the girl I sponsored that I had living with me uh, shows up to the meeting with my now ex-boyfriend. And... <coughs> You know, it hurt really bad, you know, um, and I didn't know what to do, and my first instinct was just to run, you know, like, I gotta get out of here now, um, but I didn't do that, um, I walked through the pain, and I, I sat down, and I looked at my part in the situation, and I really had to go back to basics, and go back to the beginning, and really see everything on the full perspective. Can you hear my voice for me? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and I remember where I was. Oh, so everything's falling apart. I'm back at my parents' house. And I'm like, I'm not helping anyone ever again. Um, in fact, I quit AA. But... <laughs> And I sit down with my sponsor, and she takes me back through the steps, and I write an inventory, and I look at things from a different perspective. And God has other plans for me, you know. God's plan for me is not to run away. God's plan for me is not to not help people. Because I got an opportunity to go down to southern Florida for the weekend, and I get invited to speak a couple different places, you know. God, What God wants for me is to keep busy and to put my hand out to more girls. And um, within a week, one day, one week, um, I'm saying, like, I'm never going to help anyone ever again. I hate everyone. Um, not ever going to sponsor anyone. I'm over it. And within that week, I, three girls come up to me, and they ask me to be their sponsor. And... I have to speak all over the country. Um, not all over the country, all up and down the East Coast. And I don't want to do any of that. When I, when I result back to me and what I want to do, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to look at you. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to answer the phone. But God's plan for me is to keep my feet moving and to keep active. And that's exactly what I've done. And it's exactly what I need to be done. And um, I absolutely love my life. I I absolutely know that God's plan for me is much bigger than what the plans I have for myself. That when I live life run on self-will, I get nowhere. But when if I just take five minutes 
in the morning and get on my knees and just ask God to show me what to do. He absolutely shows me. He absolutely guides and protects me, and he absolutely wants what's best for me. And I can't do that on my own. I can't do it without God's help. I can't do it. I can't see God unless I see it in you. Unless I I sit down with a girl who's absolutely broken, who feels like the only, like the loneliest person in the world, that she's never going to get out of it. And I sit down with her, and I just tell her, how I felt, you know, and how I don't feel that way anymore. She gets that glimpse of hope, you know. And it's so beautiful. And it's it just fills my heart so much. And it's crazy that I just want to run away from that. That I just want to, when the fear crops up, I just want to run. But when I don't run, you know, I... I see something beautiful. I see something absolutely, it's an absolute miracle. I'm so blessed to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so blessed that a woman absolutely laid down her life for me and took me through the 12 steps and never said, I'm busy, I can't, I don't have time to sit down with you. I have X, Y, or Z going on, you know. She put everything aside. And I forget that sometimes. Like, I, won't, I want to do that. When a girl calls me and I'd rather lay in bed, you know, and think about myself, if I just don't do that, I get to, I get to see the world from a totally new perspective. And all those bedevilments, you know, they can, that they talk about on page 52, they can just crop up so quick without me even knowing, without me even realizing that I'm running on self-sufficiency, without me even realizing that I'm not doing this simple plan of action that's laid at my feet. I was going to say something, but I forgot. (laughs) But it's just so easy and so beautiful. I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous and what it's done for my life. And I get to meet so many people having the same experience that I'm having, and I get to see it day in and day out. There's so many people that aren't hearing this message, you know, that are hearing the message, just hang in there, you know, you'll get through it. Um, When really, that the problem is in the drink, you know, you just stop drinking, you'll be okay. Like, stuff like that can kill an alcoholic, because drinking is not our problem. Our problem is living. We don't know how to live. And there's just this simple plan laid out for us that shows us how. And all we need to do is trust God. Get the stuff that blocks us from God out of the way. Put our hand out to another human being. And we're absolutely living in the sunlight of the Spirit. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see. Someone's eyes light up. It's unreal. There's no drink in the world. There's no amount of alcohol that feels the way when you see someone who's absolutely broken and has nowhere else to go and feels like the dirtiest, disgusting person on the planet. To just put your hand out to them and put your plans and ideas aside for ten minutes and see their lives absolutely change is a miracle. Um... I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And if you're sitting in this room and you don't feel that way, you know, just put your hand out to someone whose eyes are shining, you know, someone who's having experience that's not the experience you're having. Get active, you know. Just be a part of. It's so easy to to disconnect and say, like, everyone's out out to get me. Everyone's against me. I, I don't feel comfortable. You know, if you just put one foot in, the whole entire situation changes. And everything comes together and falls into place. And I would have never seen that if it weren't for the people who put their lives aside for me. And it wasn't just the sponsor that did that. It was a ton of people surrounded me um, and laid their lives down just to see me, like, light up a little bit. And I never thought when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that I was going to stay, that I was ever going to be happy, that life was ever going to be okay. And I absolutely love my my life today. And the thought of drink does not even cross my mind. You know? The obsession has absolutely been lifted. And I, it's so great just to say that to someone, to say that to a girl that can't even, can't even walk out the door, to say that to her and mean it. Because if you mean, when you say something you mean, that's absolutely true, you know? They can absolutely feel it and they can absolutely believe you. And um, I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous and what it's done for me, and I hope I brought you a typical AA meeting. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.